Welcome to DCW Group's podcast, a podcast focused on life, business and property. We cover a wide range of topics related to both personal development, entrepreneurship and of course property. In this season, we have focused on talking about achieving balance and innovating for success. We have some amazing guests who bring a very different spin on this great subject. I have one request from you. Please like and subscribe to the channel. This will help us keep creating some great, hard-hitting content. Thank you. Hi, and welcome to DCW Group's uh, episode two of the podcast. Um, uh, the story today is all about achieving balance and innovating for success. So our second guest of the podcast series is um, somebody who's a very good friend of mine, um, namely Lucy Cohen from Mazuma. Hello. Hello. <laughs> um, so today we are all about, we're going to dive really, really deep into the innovation side of success um, and also kind of get to know Lucy a little bit more on outside of the Mazuma angle. So Welcome, Lucy. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Finally got you here. <laughs> so um, first things first, we'll go, in, we'll go into the sort of first e easy segment. So more of an introduction about you, um, how you've kind of come to where you are now with Mazuma. So a, a sort of plotted journey, for want of a better word, but also a little bit about you as the person outside of the work. Sure. So... Um... I founded Mazuma in 2006 when I was a babe. I was 23. Um, so I was uh, young and foolish and thought that I could take on the in entire accountancy industry. So when we were the first ever subscription model for accountancy, so think Netflix for accountants. And no one had done it before. You know, we, we at the point that we started doing the subscription model, people didn't use the word subscription. You know, if you think, if you cast your mind back to the, dark ages of 2006. We predate cloud software. Um, we predate subscription models. We predate you know, good pay-per-click advertising, SEO. That world didn't exist. So we really innovated a professional service. And the first ever business advisor I went to see told me it was a horrible idea. It would never work. Um, but with all the confidence of a 23-year-old, I decided that they were wrong. And we grew organically. You know, We didn't raise money to start off with. Again, coming into a very male-dominated space as a young female, those options for investment and financing weren't there. And then, of course, two years later, we hit the financial crash, so we couldn't even get an overdraft. So we really just had to innovate and grow organically. We started off with one laptop, about £100, and my spare bedroom, and just reinvested the money into the company, proper, you know, shoe leather stuff, going out and networking and meeting people and taking the sales meetings, running the business. And we just grew organically. And that continued until 2019, when we recognized that actually the incumbent technology, so we've kind of leapt forward 13 odd years now, and that incumbent technology, the cloud software, was not meeting the needs of the micro business space. So we specialize, we only work with micro businesses. And the technology was okay for accountants, was okay for micro businesses, but wasn't really great for anybody. So we did a small raise and started developing our own technology. And that's now what we run the whole company off. So we've developed our own technology platform, which uses you know, all the good stuff we talk about now, optical character recognition, artificial intelligence, machine learning, to do the work of an accountant combined with an accountant. So it really is it's essentially like Netflix for accounts, but you get an accountant with it as well. And it's all bundled into 
into fairly low cost packages. The point of it being it should be accessible to the micro business market who otherwise wouldn't necessarily engage with an accountant and would, would struggle along trying to do it themselves. So in a nutshell, that's that's what I do. Excellent. And what about you outside of all of that? Tell me a little bit about your story. Um, so I originally didn't want to be an accountant. That was never in my uh, my personal planning. I'd wanted to work in you know, the arts, film and TV. I come from a very creative family. And that was really the inspiration behind Mazuma in that my family are a set of creatives. You know, they're actors, dancers, musicians, composers, artists. And I saw how great they were at what they did and how terrible they were with, with finances and wanted to create a solution. But I originally wanted to work in the arts. I, after my A-levels, took a year out before university to uh, work in film and TV. Um, I was I, I was a trained dancer, so I actually was, I danced doubled for people within films. Um, one of my one of my good claims to fame is I was actually a backing dancer for Boys Inn when I was 16. Yes. <laughs> Love so, that. <laughs> yeah. So um, I lived quite a kind of, you know, theatrical life and then realized when I, before I went to university that, and taking that year in, in working in film and TV that I really didn't enjoy it, that it wasn't a career I wanted, that it wasn't for me and kind of looked at myself and thought, well, what am I going to do? So I went to a careers advisor in Cardiff, where I lived at the time. And they said, you're quite logical, you're you're smart, you're academic. What about accountancy? I was like, great, done, sold. So I literally walked across the road to Jury's Hotel Group and I walked in and I was like, have you got any jobs in accountancy, in accounts? I didn't know what I was talking about. And the financial controller, Sarah, at the time said, well, that's really strange. Um, she happened to be at reception. That's really weird. Our purchase ledger clerk has just left. Can you do purchase ledger? I was like, yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? And that's where that's where I started going into accounts. I've always been quite sassy, um, quite determined. And outside of that kind of other hobbies, um, a, a powerlifter was a competitive powerlifter. Um, I competed for the British team. Um, and yeah, enjoy the usual stuff. Food, my dog, uh, walking, movies, having a nice time. I've just got back from holiday. So yeah, I enjoy all that, all that usual stuff. And um, I'm big on personal development. That's another one of my things is I'm always wanting to get to what the next stage is for me. I put a lot of time and effort into personal Yeah, perfect. It's, it's quite fascinating really because um, yours and my journeys are very similar in regards to the creative part obviously you know you were a dancer I was a I was an opera singer um and it, it, it kind of delve into that a little bit really because um you know I when I had the I had the chance as as an opera singer I, I I was I was about three or four months before I got married and I got asked um I got offered a scholarship in the Royal College of Music and a scholarship at the Royal Welsh College of Music and I had a choice to make and I sat down with my now good lady wife and said, um, I've got these options in front of me. What, what shall I do? And we decided it wasn't the best way to start a marriage by saying, oh, I do. And by the way, I'm off to college for three years. So I, I was quite lucky in the fact where I, I was mentored then by um, a, a very famous opera singer called uh, Donald Maxwell, not the media mogul, the, the opera singer. <coughs> and he said, look, he said, ultimately, Dean, he says, you've got all of the tools that you need to make, you know, to make something of your career, he says, but you don't necessarily need to go to college for that. He says, what you do is get a singing teacher in the college, so you just get all of the contacts that way. Um, and that's exactly what I did. Uh, so it's, it's interesting to hear that your journey, again, is a question for you, really, is 
when you were dancing and you, you know we uh, us, us as as performers we know that when we do a performance we get a buzz out of the the applause and stuff at the end and the actual creativeness of what you've delivered did you think you lost that a little bit when you when you stopped and made that conscious change um Yes, a little bit, but I am an avid overachiever as well. So then you just transition your uh, endorphin rush into other forms of success. And ultimately, if you're the, if you're the CEO of a company, there's an element of performance that goes in with that. Absolutely There's right. leadership, there's performance, there's doing things like this, there's public speaking. Um, and I think to be a really effective CEO, sometimes having you... CEOs of large companies, politicians get trained on stage presence and how to be good on stage. I don't think it's any surprise that there are people who've come from within the arts or who have a naturally um, uh, exhibitionist streak to them <laughs> that that we we become good business leaders because there is a performance side to it and it's a way of sating that um need for external validation ultimately someone to applause everything yeah. I do it, it is disappointing <laughs> to me sometimes when I go away and I speak at conferences and it's quite the come down so I, I do quite a lot of speak, public speaking as you do you go away and I speak at conferences and it's kind of like this especially with an accountancy it's a it's a bit of a weird kind of comic-con style fame and I'll be at these exhibitions and people know who I am and they come up to me and they want to have a selfie or they see me on stage and then I come home and I've got to you know do the shopping and the laundry and stuff. And I'm like, why is nobody applauding me doing the laundry? Like, what's going on? Like, why is no one wanting a selfie anymore? <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's it, it's just fascinating. It really is. Um, moving on to sort of like the second segment of, of, of where we're looking at now, I want to dive into sort of personal life and all of your business endeavours, which have been, you know, absolutely fantastic and you know how how do you balance that sort of personal life and those those business endeavors and those public speaking engagements how do you how do you balance that between your your sort of you know lucy the person and lucy the business lady um absolutely horribly right yeah really badly <laughs> um if i'm entirely honest and it's because i think there's a few reasons the first is i don't really see a distinct separation between my personal life and my business life. I'm like yourself, millennial of a generation where you're always a little bit at home and you're always a little bit at work. Even before COVID, that was true with the onset of social media and the kind of increased connectivity we have with smartphones. Um, you lose that separation. It's not like in the oldy days when you um, leave the office and you close the door and you don't think about the office again until a Monday. As a business owner, that never happens. I was away on holiday recently and one of my team, um, I'd had an email and I just thought, well, I know the answer to this, I'll respond to it now. They said, well, why are you responding to this? You're on holiday. I'm like, I've not not looked at my emails for a day in 17 years. And yes, some people might say that's, that's a bit of a problem, but it's I think it's part of the deal with the devil you make when you go into entrepreneurship. You kind of take that on. Um, so in that sense, you might look at what I do and say you have absolutely no boundaries and you have a really poor work-life separation. But my work, my purpose, my drive to output and create is such a huge part of who I am and my identity. I don't really see the difference. I don't see the difference between you. You might spend your evening in inverted commas, normal person, might spend their evening watching TV and maybe scrolling you know, social media on the internet. I'll spend it half watching TV, watching one program, and then I'll be in my phone or researching something or reading something or contributing to something 
for me, that's purpose and it's really enjoyable. I just don't see the difference. I've got people around me um, in my personal life who, you know, they know what they they know what they signed up for. They know what they married. Um, it's uh, so very much that's a part of who it is. But if I'm honest, I have also lost friends over the years because of it. And I've had to make the conscious decision not to um, be friends with people who don't understand that journey um that entrepreneurship leadership business journey can be incredibly lonely and i think having people around you who don't understand that uh, hybrid nature of work and life and how the two the bleeding edges of it um it's really exhausting to have to keep explaining to those people if they can't step in and empathize with it um so and you sometimes you do just outgrow people and that's okay yeah i it's interesting because i remember we had a we had a conversation over our, our little brunches that we have from time to time. Um, and we had a very similar conversation. And then I watched your YouTube um, video about the exact same conversation about where friends, you, you, you sometimes just have to part ways if they don't understand. And it's something that, that my journey with, you know, when I've documented about um, speaking to you know, therapists and stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I come from a, I come from a background of never actually going to therapy. And, you know, this is a, you know, a big stigma against me or men can't possibly talk. Um, and I took a, I took a conscious decision um, about probably six or eight months ago where I had to kind of offload a little bit. And it was, it was unbelievably freeing. Oh, I, I, I gotta be yeah. honest. And there really wasn't a stigma there. It was absolutely, freeing in such a way that you can sit there and talk to somebody who is not going to bear judgment. No, and they're they're professional. They are professionally trained to listen to people and offer sage advice and support. I'm a huge advocate of therapy. I'm, you know, I've always got a therapist. You can't tell your friends that nonsense either. Like you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't give that to somebody else to handle. You need a trained professional for that stuff. Mm. But yeah. Yeah, no, I I just think it's fascinating. And, and the, the change in, you know, being a business leader is, it's tough. It's lonely, as you as you rightly say, but also it can be. It's a very lonely place at the top, and sometimes you need to have that support around you, be it both professional support as well as you know direct family support. Crikey, I'd I'd be lost without my wife. Uh, you know, sometimes I think she still scratches her head, thinking, "Oh my god, what have I done?" You know, <laughs> she uh, what's what he done now? Sort of thing. She you knows know? what she married. She knows what she signed up for. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, so. Moving, moving on then. So this is a big chunky one that I know that you and I have spoken about a lot and it's very much the, the thing that we've been on this same journey. The, what's the role of innovation in your business now? Because, it, you know, we, we speak about this all the time. Yeah, I mean, we, we are founded on disruption. So the very first thing that I wanted to do with Mizuma was to disrupt an incumbent, archaic dinosaur-esque profession and turn it into something more modern. And everybody told me I couldn't do it. My track history of people telling me I can't do stuff and then me going, watch, just watch (laughs) me. Um, So it's built on that and it is at the, it's within the marrow of our bones in terms of what we do. We are constantly looking for what is the next way to get there quicker, faster, better. Um, And it's what we do. It's why we went into developing our own technology and not just using kind of the existing solutions that were out on the market. um, It forms all of what we are. But with innovation comes a responsibility to 
not just do it for the sake of doing it. You know, not you can't just keep innovation isn't just changing stuff. Innovation is a business plan. Innovation is something that you consciously decide you're going to do and then you plan it and you plot it and you measure it and then you tweak it and then you cycle it. It's not just going, I've got a mad idea and I'm going to change everything again. That's not innovation. That's just being an idiot. Um, so there is, there's, and I think people don't understand that. I think they look at the word innovation and they go, oh God, people, why do they have to change everything all the time without understanding that actually innovation is a real process of assessing what exists, looking where the opportunities are for enhancement and then having the balls to go and do it. Absolutely. Absolutely right. And, uh, you know, we, we, we followed each other's journeys quite, um, quite closely, over a, usually over a breakfast naan at uh, our local haunt. Oh, I, um, do, I do love those little branches. Oh, They're great. Just, it's just great. It's, it, again, it's, it's our own therapy, isn't it? Yeah, it's absolutely. Really, yeah. <laughs> um, I think with, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people are talking about the, you know, the implementation of AI and machine learning and, and the fors and against of AI, you know, you know the dreaded word chat GPT. Um, the, uh, you know, I think everybody who says that they don't use it is lying. Um, <laughs> I, I think, you know, I, I use it, but I use it sparingly. It's a tool. The way I always look at it with ChatGPT is the fact that it saves me a huge amount of time of drafting time. Yeah. You know, I, I put an idea into it and say, you know, reword this email in a more professional tone and it comes out with something. I then copy and paste that into my email and then I go through that email and take out the bits that I don't like, bits that aren't accurate, but then also tailor what's written that to my style of writing. So it, it's it's very much for me what, you know, if I want to produce a document that would sometimes take 45 minutes to an hour, it's now taking me 15, 20 minutes. It's, it's, it's like, you know, people are terrified of AI and let's, let's be really honest about this. AI that you, the current version of ChatGPT isn't AI, it's machine learning and it's a natural language model. It's a large Absolutely. language model. It's not what we call AI. You know, it's not Skynet. It's no. not, it's not, you gained consciousness and started to you know, replicate itself or whatever. It is an incredibly powerful tool. And if you look at when we first started using those types of tools, Google was you know, out right. there. Yeah. And you would have had to previously go to, I don't know what, the Encyclopedia Britannica to go and look something out. And now, you, now you'll just go and Google it. It is a tool that you can use to make sure that your time, especially if you're in leadership, is spent in the right places. I could spend my time if I'm writing a job description for a chief revenue officer, going and reading other job descriptions and thinking which bits I liked and that's worded nicely and coming up with a template and spend a couple of hours doing that. Or I could just ask ChatGPT, could you give me a template for a job description for a CRO, please? And it will give me one that is probably more than adequate for my needs. Absolutely. It's a, it's a tool. It's a huge time saver. Um, and people are terrified of AI. And because they're terrified of change, because in everyone's head is, oh, it's going to take all of our jobs. Well, it might take your jobs if you're not using it as a tool, but if you're using it as a tool, then you're going to guarantee that how you do your job is still a Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it's it's interesting because, you know, there's there's been some really quite negative parts of ChatGPT in the press about university students using it to write their dissertations. And, and, and it's, in a way, it's quite obvious um, because... There's a style oh, that, yeah. that ChatGPT brings in, and you you often see it where somebody has copy and pasted ChatGPT into a social media post or something, and they've forgotten to take the stars out. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it, it, it does it does look at it and think, all oh, right, that that is, is that borderline laziness, or is that is that operationally not 
not the best thing to do. I, I think my opinion on AI is is quite interesting. You know, I am by no means an expert on AI. Um, there's far more qualified people on AI at higher levels than me. But I, I, I see AI and machine learning as something that shouldn't be afraid of it. I think we need to embrace it, but embrace it in such a way that it's not there to replace. Mm -hmm. It's there to enhance. Absolutely. Look, when when, when the... Um you know, words started doing spell check. Yeah. People were like, oh, this is terrible. People are not going to know how to spell anything anymore. Like, at every stage of uh, progress, there's been somebody there who said, this is terrible. Um, things are never going to be how they are again. This is awful. Um, woe is me. Um, yeah, the world's yeah. changing too fast. It's just the next stage and people will adapt to it. And before you know it, it will be a standard part of everybody's lives and we'll have forgotten how outraged we were by the whole thing. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely right. Right then, we can talk property now. Let's talk property. We're going to talk my favourite bit. <laughs> so, what's your personal experiences of property, both buying, selling, estate agents? You know, this is your chance to stand on a soapbox and say, this is what I like, this is what I don't like, this is what needs to change. So, I have both bought and sold property uh, in the UK and abroad. Um, so I'll, I'll keep this for the UK markets. Um, it's fine. I've got, I've got, <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping we'll have international viewers as well, I'm um, hoping. <laughs> so um, my biggest frustration with anything property related is the inordinate amount of time that everything takes. I cannot understand why things take so long. I just don't understand it because the information that's getting transferred from one party to another already exists. It's already there. Um, in, in the world. Um, the people who are wanting to do the exchange have funds available, ready to... Do, like, I bought my current house I live in. There was no chain at all and um, everything was all lined up and it still took 16 weeks. I don't understand why I said, here's some money, I would like to buy this house and everyone went, great, I would like to sell you this house and we're moving to Canada, so there's no chain at all. This should be really easy and it still took four months. I'm baffled that um, with no complications to the process whatsoever, no haggling, no arguing, it, that was how long it took. That's my biggest frustration because we talk about, you know, we constantly in the UK talk about the property market and we talk about how important that is to the economy of the UK why does it? Why is it so slow? Why is such an important market so unbelievably slow? It's baffling. It's it's a process that is, I, I use your terminology, archaic. Um, some would call it retro, um, and it's unfortunately this is this is one of the biggest challenges that you know I've been I've been in the property industry now, crikey, twenty one years now, and it's never really changed. It's always the same, oh, this is the way it's always been done. If I have a pound for every time I've heard that, I'd, I'd be absolutely loaded. <coughs> now, from your experience, you know, in that particular process that took 16 weeks, now, do you feel that it's the, this might be a little bit of a leading question, so apologies, but do you feel that was estate agency-led or was that, lawyer-led like conveyancer etc was it a breakdown in communication was it a breakdown in you know was it um just lack of understanding of process you know what do you think it was um so i think there's a few things here if you're not if you're not uh, somebody who 
has a business in property, the number of times you buy a property in your lifetime is it's probably a handful of them. So as a consumer going into that process, you're not au fait with it. It's not like you do it all day every day. So you're very much reliant upon other professionals to tell you when things should be happening. And it's confusing and there's loads of moving parts and there's no clear route to go. You have to do X, Y, Z, and then you get your result. You're just kind of relying on other people to blindly do their bit. And you're not really sure, well, should they have done this bit now? Should I be chasing them? Like, what's the expectation here? So that's just generally one of the um, frustrations. Um, this actually wasn't uh, a frustration that w I had in my current house, but my husband's previous property that he bought, he was, I remember him being absolutely furious with the estate agents actually, because he had put in offer on this property, which then got accepted. And then they re they left the lifting li left, left the listing up and said, now accepting offers over what he offered him. So almost inviting a gazump, which mm. that's really naughty. Um but you it are should be illegal. But, but you not. are you you are you are allowed to do that in England and Wales. I don't think you, you can do it in Scotland, but you are allowed to do it in England and Wales. Um so that that's a massive frustration. And then I think it's the um I remember on the day that we were moving into the house, I was having to ring them because you've got, you know, you've got delivery people arriving or moving people arriving you've got keys getting handed over you've got people leaving the old house all that stuff going on I remember having to ring them over and over and over and going has it happened yet has it happened yet has it happened yet they'll go it be half an hour oh we're just waiting on something else like, what are you waiting for this was scheduled for today like why yeah. are we still waiting the whole thing is wildly frustrating and it's from what I can see a set of people not really speaking to each other and it feeling like it's no one's priority but yep Absolutely right. I uh, couldn't agree more. It's, I think the biggest frustrations I find, and, you know, every time I speak to either conveyancers or solicitors or even really experienced estate agents, they always get frustrated with the fact that, you know, things take too long and there's no reason why it can't be done. And, you know, and everybody always turns around and says, oh, if it's got a, if it's got a mortgage, then it's going to take a minimum of 12 weeks. But why? It, precisely. And, I've got a number of transactions that I've done over the years that have been done a hell of a lot faster than that because the process has been explained and all of the moving parts are all pulling towards the same goal. You know, it's very similar to what we do as leaders, trying to coerce our teams into, you know, following us. You know, I, I'm going to go over the cliff now. You've got to follow me. Yeah. And, you know, and this is what the goal is at the end. Here's the carrot. We're going to go get it, whatever it may be. Um, and... I'm very much a believer that, you know, my quickest house sale to date was six days. So that's pretty, that's From pretty start to finish with punchy. a mortgage, with a mortgage and everything. Um, I think we get so, uh, people in the property industry get so sort of relaxed into the, the way it's always been done. They're, they're very, very negative about inviting sort of technological advances in. You know, they're very nervous of it. Um, I also think, as one of my biggest bugbears with with agents especially, not all agents, is a bit of a fleeting statement. So, you know, there is some good and there is some bad. Don't get me wrong. But I, I, I think the worst thing is, is when a an estate agent comes out and shows you around a property and they're very, very you know, very, very simple in their approach. This is a lounge, this is a kitchen. I just feel like turning around and saying, yeah, no shit, you know? Yes, it's a kitchen because it's got an oven. No, no, really, you know? Um, it's all about sort of painting the picture about what the purchaser actually wants in the first place. 
you know, so, you know, yes, this is your lounge, but you've told me you've got a big three piece sofa and you like to, you know, I sold a house once using feng shui, you know, <laughs> because they didn't have a fireplace in there. And they said, well, we've got to have a fireplace, but we've got to have it on that side of the room because it doesn't work with feng shui. So I got the developers then to come in and say, right, OK, put a fireplace over there. And they, they bought it just on a fireplace. Irrelevant the rest of the house, they bought it on the fireplace. But that's that's listening to that set that sellership. Absolutely. That's listening to yeah. that that's that sales cycle stuff yeah. as well. And I, I think also as well, it's it's all about you know, you have some estate agents, especially if they're very junior, that have never physically bought a property themselves. And I think that experience, you know, it's a very emotional time. It's, you know, it's, I think there's some, there's figures out there to say that it's the top, one of the top five most stressful yep. things to go through, you know, debt, divorce, marriage, bereavement and buying a buying house, house yeah. you know, and, and I think they, they make the house transaction sound like, oh, it's just something you normally do. You know, this isn't a five grand car loan we're talking about here. You know, you, you get it, if you're getting a mortgage, odds are it's going to be 15 to 20 years of your life. It's probably the most amount of money you're ever going to borrow. Absolutely yeah. right. Absolutely right. And when when an agent says to you, oh, I know how you feel if you're getting stressed about something not going right or whatever, and you know how you feel, and you turn around and said, have you actually bought, bought a property? And they go, well, well, no. And I said, well, how do you know how I feel then? And it, it's quite aggressive, but it's it's ultimately, you know, don't say that you know how I feel if you really don't. And it's and it's awfully, awfully frustrating. And I just think there's there's an opportunity for the marketplace now where there's an opportunity to change for the better. And there's an opportunity that there like you rightly say, there is loads of data out there. All of the information that lawyers are pulling in through local searches, etc. It's all there. It all exists. It's public domain yeah. information. You can get hold of it for less than a, you know, less than a tenner in some cases, you know. And and I just think it's getting to a point now where homeowners, people who are looking to sell their houses, people who are looking to buy houses, can go onto a system and buy a report that, you know, they can read and actually supports. They gives them all the information they need to know, which then enables them. So when an estate agent does come out, hold the agent to account. And say, why are you saying that my house is going to be worth £20,000 more? Is it because you're getting paid on instruction? Mm -hmm. You know, because a lot of the online agents get paid on instruction. You know, so there's no incentive to sell anymore, yeah. which in turn stagnates the market. Yeah. So it's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot to be said for it. But, you know, the speed and the, uh, you know, the ability to be able to get a property transaction through it's overly complicated and it doesn't need to be. No, it, it, and, and, I, and it feels in a lot of areas like it's a self-preservation thing. You know, jobs for the boys, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. So, Lucy, moving on, it's a, um, always the interesting one now. So, our previous guest, Jane Brewer, who uh, who, who you know well, um, asked uh, asked a question to give to our next guest, which was, was yourself. And her question was um, along the lines of, as, as an entrepreneur and a business owner, um, when you grow it from such an early stage, it's very, very hard to hand over responsibility to be it team members, be it other um, senior members of staff, whatever it may be. How do you balance doing that? Oh, it's really tough because there's a couple of things you you really have to first of all recognize and then be okay with so the first thing you have to recognize is nobody's going to care about your business as much as you do they just won't um because it's not theirs they can't um 
And then you have to be okay with that. And then what you have to do is to have very clear parameters of what good looks like, what you expect from people, and really importantly, what happens if they don't uh, achieve what you've asked them to achieve. And it's just following those kind of three things over and over and over again will give you the space to do that. When you're handing something over, you have to stop yourself doing that thing of, oh, it's taking too long, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just do it myself. It's the teach a person to fish thing, isn't it? Is you have to you have to build in time to invest in teaching your team how to do stuff, and then you give them the really clear parameters of what good what good looks like, what you expect them to do, and what happens if they don't do it well. And it's just doing that over and over and over again. It's not sexy, and a lot of the time it's not a lot of fun. But you have to do that, otherwise you will never progress. You cannot do everything yourself. And you probably shouldn't because there's probably things you're doing that are not in your unique abilities and that there are other people who are better at. So I'm a horrible organiser. I need other people to organise my stuff for me. Um, it's incredible I turned up here. We're on time today, to be perfectly honest, because I'm, I'm absolutely useless at getting myself to places on time. You know, I, I think I... Um, uh, initially refused the invite because I didn't know what it was. <laughs> so, so, and you were like, why have you refused that? I was like, oh yeah, that's a thing. So yeah, you need to get other people in to do stuff for you. Um, but you have to be, but you also in, at the same time have to just accept that nobody will care as much as you do, but they should care enough to do a good job. And, and that's, that's the process. What's your question for the next guest? My question for the next guest would be, what is the moment in your career that you realized that you were successful? When did you, what was that moment where you went, oh, okay, I'm doing it. I'm here. Wow. What was that moment? That idea has yeah. now become fruition. <laughs> yeah, like what's the moment? Because it's an interesting one because a lot of time as a leader, I'm always curious to hear people answer that question because a lot of time as a business owner you never stop and go oh look at that I'm actually doing it I'm actually successful because uh, you're just constantly on to the next problem challenge whatever you never stop and take stop and I think all of us probably have a moment when we go oh oh so it's real I'm really doing it so I'm curious to find out what theirs is excellent super stuff well Lucy, thank you. You're welcome. It's been enlightening, as it always <laughs> is. Um, and I'm really, really glad that you've come on the podcast. So appreciate that. Um, so for all of the viewers out there who are, who are going to be watching this podcast, um, where can they find out more about Mazuma? Where do they find you and how do they contact you? So you can find out more about Mazuma on the website, which is mazumamoney.co.uk. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Lucy Cohen. I'm the one with the stripy hair. Um, you'll, you'll find me on there. Um, that's usually where I'm having, hanging around. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm pretty active across all socials. So that's usually where you will find me. Perfect. Well, thank you again for tuning in for the next DCW post. Our next guest will be Darren Haynes from Pontypridd Football Club. Um, could they be the next Wrexham? We will find out. Good to see you.